0: Welcome to the Sufi Reverberations podcast, where each week, God willing, you will be able to hear a poem, a story, a meditation, and a musical interlude that give expression to one Sufi's perspective concerning the mystical dimension of Islam. My name is Anab Whitehouse, and I will be your host. Although I am not a sheikh, nonetheless, I did have the opportunity to spend 16 years in the company of a Sufi saint of the 20th century and by the grace of God, was able to gain a few insights into the nature of the Sufi mystical path through that association. So, without further delay, let's proceed to the essential contents of this episode. The title of the following poem is The Way Home. Choice is a space with many rooms, yet with just two ways to go, a maze into which we are born with limited time to know how to proceed. Our life is torn between lower and higher entreaties that caress our heart, callings to which we aspire, potentials that set us apart, and journeys that twist and turn among fates that mark boundaries within which we move and learn like lowly oars in dark foundries, so fragile easy to break. Each soul needs work and grace to bring out its value, a high-stake drama which takes flight on the wing of time that, like a midwife, delivers from darkness to light, the changing rhythms of life through which we struggle to gain sight of our core self, of why we are all that these truths entail. Take warning. The web of free will is subtle and spreads its tail across cosmic filaments, vibrating human intentions that form living testaments brought forth by divine conventions on a day we all must face. The title of this week's story is Point Counterpoint. A friend of God was in seclusion, remembering his friend, when all of a sudden a bright light filled the room. A deep voice said, O servant of God, your years of devotion are being rewarded. From this time onward, you have been relieved of all responsibilities for praying, fasting, or remembering God. So pleased is divinity with you. Your every action and thought are being proclaimed as modes of worship, and those activities shall replace henceforth all your works of austerity. This is the ease which has been promised after difficulty. Such acceptance is the goal to which you have been dedicated in this world, and heaven, for which you have struggled so hard in the present life, will be granted to you in the next life, in recognition of your good deeds. The friend of God replied, I have not striven for heaven in this life. Rather, I have sought God and God alone. Moreover, seeking acceptance by God is presumptuous, whereas being engaged in service to divinity and having hope in God's mercy and compassion is more suitable. Whatever my spiritual station may be, this has been achieved by the grace of God through prayer, fasting, and remembrance of God. So why should I abandon the ship which God has provided to me for sailing the ocean of being? As soon as God's friend said these words, the light vanished and Satan appeared in his actual form. Smiling, he responded, Truly you are a master of the mystical way. Your spiritual knowledge has saved you. I have misled so many seekers away from the right path through that little stunt you just witnessed. It's amazing how a few lights with a little razzle-dazzle thrown in can destroy years of hard work. The mystic remarked, My knowledge has not saved me from you. Only God can save me. What comes to us from divinity is better than what goes to divinity from us. As a friend of God uttered these words, Tears came to Satan's eyes. In between sobs, he managed to say, If only I had met someone of your spiritual stature thousands of years ago, I believe my life would have gone in a much better direction, and I would now be a lover of God as you are. Love of God has never been your problem, retorted Mystic. Obedience to God has been your weakness. Well, that's not entirely true, countered Satan. How can any of us do other than the will of God? I do what God permits me to do. The friend of God commented, God, for divine reasons, permitted you to do what you sought permission to do. Do not blame God for the manner in which you exercise the freedom that was given to you through your creation. A eureka expression came across the fate of Satan. My goodness, exclaimed Satan. No one has explained things to me in this way. I'm beginning to understand. Please accept me as your student. I vow to follow all of your instructions. The friend of God replied, You vowed to God a long time ago that you would dedicate your life to misleading human beings away from the spiritual way. If you were prepared now to break your vow to God, what meaning can your present vow to me have? Besides." If you have been unwilling to follow God's instructions, you certainly will not follow any of the ones which I might give you. But surely, argued Satan, you should have empathy for a creature in my wretched condition. I have feelings, too, you know. Don't you think you render an injustice to someone like me with your present attitude? No injustice is being done to you, the mystic said. The nature of justice is to give everything that which is due to it. You are like the scorpion who wished to cross a flooding river, but could not swim, and therefore implored a passing turtle to convey him to the other side of the river, giving precedence of compassion, charity, kindness, and so on, to induce the turtle to do the scorpion's bidding. The turtle was wary about the intentions of the scorpion and said, If I carry you, what is to prevent you from stinging me and causing my death? The scorpion felt indignation with respect to the turtle's remarks, but managed to say, If I stung you, I would be committing suicide, because you would drown when I paralyzed you, and therefore I would drown right along with you. Your suspicions are unwarranted, and if I might add, a little unfriendly. Instead of trying to be so unhelpful, you should have empathy for beings like me who have not been blessed with your abilities. Why not try to help those in need instead of sitting in judgment of them? The scorpion's words struck the turtle in his soft underbelly, and the turtle felt badly for having been so cautious and difficult. Okay, the turtle said, get on my back and I will take you across the river. The scorpion crawled onto the back of the turtle. When the scorpion was safely aboard, the turtle set off for the far bank of the river. About halfway across, the scorpion stung the turtle. The turtle could feel the poison begin to work. Paralysis was rapidly taking over. And as he was beginning to sink, he could only say, Why did you sting me? You will die as well. The scorpion shrugged as only scorpions can and said, It is in my nature. The friend of God concluded the telling of his tale to Satan with, I have all the empathy in the world for you in your wretched condition, but I also know it is in your nature to hurt creatures irrespective of any ramifications such actions might have for you or for them. Consequently, in your case, keeping a respectful distance is the better part of compassion for you and me. So, Satan sniffed, you acknowledge that inherent in my nature Is this inclination to bring chaos and misery into the lives of God's creatures? Why hold me accountable for the manner in which God has made me? The friend of God smiled in a manner which suggested, nice try. What you seem to have overlooked, remarked the mystic, is that you freely chose what God willed for you, and therefore God served your wishes while simultaneously giving expression to divine purposes. Satan raised his eyebrows, as if to concede the wisdom of the mystic's words. I am really enjoying this discussion of ours. Could I ask just a few further questions? To what end, inquired the mystic. Satan smiled in a mischievous and triumphant manner. Well, I have been so successful in keeping you from your remembrance of God, which, if you will recall, is where I came in with my light-filled entrance, that I thought I would keep you occupied with other than God for a while longer. God's friend responded with, There are many forms of remembering God. One of these is to remind others about the dangers of your cleverness, so that when you try to pull tricks on them, as you have with me, they will recall our little conversation which you have so enjoyed, and as a result, those individuals may, God willing, be able to busy themselves with praising and worshipping divinity which you will not at all enjoy, but with which I shall be quite happy. He added, I believe you underestimate the friends of God, which is why you have always been jealous of them, a jealousy that helped lead to your spiritual downfall. There is a mystery emanating from the friends of God that you may have sensed, but which you have never come close to understanding or appreciating. The mystic studied Satan briefly as if gauging him in some way, and then proceeded further, God is reported to have said, I and humankind were together and loving one another until I showed humans the world, and nine-tenths of them left me out of their love for the world, then I and the remaining one-tenth of humankind were together, loving one another, and I showed those who remained with me heaven, and nine-tenths of this assembly left me out of love for heaven. Then of the remaining one-tenth, who stayed with me, I put them through great difficulty and many trials, and nine-tenths of that diminished group ran away from me in great terror. And of the one-tenth who remained, I promised to heap such tribulations upon them as creation has never before witnessed. And they said, As long as it is from you, O Lord. Tell me now, Satan, do you really think that this latter assembly of people the ones whom God placed in such peril and yet who would not turn away from divinity that these sorts of individuals would do anything but laugh at your ignorance and foolishness even as they do justice to you and give you your due by following divine instructions to treat you as an avowed enemy of anyone who is seeking closeness to God? When he heard these words, Satan shrieked and disappeared, but not really. One tiny desk on a relatively small planet in a solar system that forms a speck in a galaxy that exists along with billions of other galaxies amidst spatial voids tens of millions of light years across on a material plane that constitutes but one of many realms in God's indefinitely large universe. You are listening to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast. Today's meditative essay is entitled, Light. Visible light is not the only source of illumination to which objects can be seen or imaged. In fact, visible light is but one expression of a diverse array of such imaging possibilities. Ultraviolet light, infrared light, x-rays, microwave radiation, radio waves, and coherent light a sum of these other possibilities. In a sense, each of the foregoing casts a different kind of light on things. Consequently, each of these expressions of illumination has properties that enable us to see images of one sort or another. Prior to the last hundred and fifty years or so, nobody suspected the treasures of visibility inherent in electromagnetic radiation. Sunlight, moonlight, starlight, lightning, and firelight of one sort or another were for the most part the sources of illumination known to human beings. If someone had come along much before the mid nineteenth century and spoken of forms of illumination other than the known ones, this person likely would have been ridiculed and dismissed by almost everyone, including many, if not all, of the people of science. Then, as now, What people see is, in large part, limited by what their minds permit them to see. Of course, implicit in the last sentence is the fact we don't just see by means of external sources of illumination, we see by means of internal illumination as well. We see with the mind's eye, we see by the light of reason, we see through the light of creative imagination. We see through the light of experience and in the light of history. Moreover, all of these internal kinds of imaging are bathed in the illumination of consciousness, light within light, reflecting off itself like a hall of mirrors. Just what the nature of the light is, which makes any of these internal kinds of imaging possible, is not understood. When push comes to shove, we really don't know even how physical light is propagated, and we know even less about the character of these other internal forms of illumination.
1: Moreover, these
0: internal lights tend to give very inconsistent and sometimes contradictory results. Whether such problematic outcomes are due to quote unquote, equipment failure, improper use of the illumination process or something else is not always clear. We make use of these internal forms of light. However, from one moment to the next, we often do not know if we can trust the character of such illumination. There often is an uneasy alliance between need or desire and cautionary discretion. Given the difficulties surrounding the eternal lights with which most of us are somewhat experientially familiar, for example, reason, logic, to talk about other kinds of internal illumination seems foolish we might be prepared to talk within certain limits about the light of faith but even here there is tremendous controversy over what if anything the light of faith illumines some people say one sees what one wants to see through the light of faith others say all one sees through the light of faith is oneself in a mood of hoping Still others say the light of faith is nothing more than the glow of conviction passing itself off as a searchlight of truth. According to Sufi masters, within us there are many kinds of light. In fact, the varieties of internal light are such to render the varied properties of electromagnetic radiation pale by comparison. Sufi masters speak of the lights of gnosis and of certainty. They speak of the lights of witnessing and of love. They speak of the lights of the dominion of God's names and attributes that shine within us and through us. Sufi masters indicate the divine light which comes when the false self vanishes is beyond description. Yet there is another kind of light, also ineffable, that comes when the true self is realized and one sees by the light of God. All of these different kinds of spiritual illumination are expressions of the light of faith, just as the different modalities of physical imaging mentioned earlier, in other words, x-rays, ultraviolet light, and so on, are inherent in electromagnetic radiation. However, different forms of the light of faith are generated through different spiritual instruments or centers within us, just as different physical processes are required to serve as sources of various forms of electromagnetic radiation. For example, certain modes of the light of faith come from the heart. Other kinds of faith light arise through what is referred to as the seer, or mystery, which, when operating properly, protects the heart from other than the remembrance of God. The spirit produces light that is different from but related to the light of the heart and the seer. In addition, the kafi, that is, the hidden, and the akfa, the most hidden, are spiritual potentials within human beings which, under appropriate conditions, can give expression to still other kinds of spiritual light. Through these various modalities of illumination, realms of creation and beyond can be assessed, if God wishes, according to one's capacity to do so. The realms of Nasut, or earth, Malakut, the soul of things, Jabrut, angels, and Lahut, fixed forms, become visible through the illumination provided by the aforementioned array of spiritual light. The goal of the Sufi path is not to activate, so to speak, these different modes of illumination as ends in themselves. All of this has value because it helps us to work our way towards realizing our full capacity to know, cherish, love, worship and serve God. Although by the grace of God the practitioner of the Sufi path gradually goes through different states, stations and stages of spiritual illumination, eventually all of this spiritual light has to be integrated and brought into harmonious balance as a unified whole. If God wishes, this process of unity reaches its fullest realized expression of illumination when the true essential self of the individual becomes permanently established in God's infinite lights of majesty and beauty. Some people may consider the foregoing brief overview of the perspective of Sufi masters concerning different kinds of spiritual light to be rather far-fetched. Such people are in a position somewhat similar to individuals prior to the mid-19th century with respect to the properties inherent in electromagnetic radiation. More specifically, individuals in both instances are ignorant of the possibilities contained in certain dimensions of reality. For more than a thousand years prior to the discoveries of the 19th and 20th century, scientists involving electric magnetic radiation Practitioners of the Sufi path were intimately acquainted with different modalities of spiritual light accessible to human beings. These Sufi practitioners had pursued a course of action in relation to seeking an understanding of spiritual light that scientists were later to do with respect to physical light. Namely, they carried out extensive, rigorous and exacting studies of the phenomenon in which they were interested. If someone were to come to a scientist today and say, I don't believe x-rays or microwave radiation or radio waves exist, the scientist could recommend a course of study. This curriculum would involve investigations of certain physical principles, various kinds of demonstration, different experiments, the application of mathematics, and so on. If this course of study were followed sincerely, diligently, and with an open mind, the program probably would lead the skeptical individual to the conclusion that light, along with ultraviolet light, microwaves, and so on, were all forms of electromagnetic radiation. In addition, after completing the course of study, the individual might understand how these forms of electromagnetic radiation were capable, each in its own way, of illuminating different aspects of physical reality. On the other hand, if the skeptical individual did not follow the prescribed curriculum but nonetheless continued to disbelieve in the existence of various forms of electromagnetic radiation, one could hardly blame the scientist for the feelings of the individual. Indeed, the protestations of the skeptical individual who refused to take the steps necessary to dispel the skepticism would seem somewhat ludicrous. Similarly, if someone comes to a Sufi master and says, I don't believe in the existence of these modalities of spiritual illumination or light about which you speak, this person also could be given a course of study to follow in order to gain concrete evidence of the existence of different modalities of spiritual light. Once again, however, if the skeptical individual does not follow the prescribed program of study, such a person is hardly in a position to feel justified in rejecting the perspective of the Sufi master concerning spiritual light and illumination. If one wants to see light, one has to take the trouble both to find out how the light may be seen, as well as to implement whatever steps are required. If one doesn't turn on the light switch, one cannot conclude there is no light. You have been listening to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast. I hope you will join me next week for a new episode of this program. May peace be your companion.